Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. We make a mistake if we see this time on Sunday morning as the main event. And sometimes we do that and we check a box and we leave and we step into the rest of our life. And instead, we really have to think about Sunday morning as the halftime huddle where we get together united in Christ with one purpose and one mission as we prepare to step onto the field throughout the week to live this out. And we come here to strategize, to refocus our eyes on what is true, what is right, and what God has called us to, ultimately fixing our eyes on Jesus, and then stepping out into a world that desperately needs Him more than it needs us. Amen? So as we gather today, I want to challenge you to allow this time to be the locker room huddle together as we prepare to step into a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ That we hold. So stand with me. We're going to pray and then we're going to commit this time to the Lord for his glory and trust this to him. Father, thank you for the hope of Jesus. Thank you for uh, gathering us here today. Thank you for the love you have shown us in Christ. God, we don't deserve that. And as we step into today, may we do so recognizing that ultimately our aim has to be living this out each day. Lord, to glorify you, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, as we grow, as we serve, and as we reach the lost. Lord, may our eyes be fixed on you today. And in everything that we're carrying with us right now, may we set that at your feet and refocus us on that which lasts. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And uh, whether you're joining us online or here, make sure you've got a copy of God's Word. If you don't have your own personal copy, uh, you can use one of the Pew Bibles in front of you. It should be around page 16 on the Pew Bible. Just want you following along with this. And uh, we are continuing through Genesis. And um, if you were with us last week, uh, just really a heavy message. Uh, focused on the judgment of God, the sovereign justice of the Lord. And um, today we continue uh, in chapter 19 and chapter 20. Um, unfortunately, getting a glimpse further at just how prone you and I are to falling back into old ways of thinking. And uh, really the focus of today is on fear and how we as fallen people respond to fear. And as I was uh, preparing this week, um, I came across just this summary uh, from a uh, a 1977 book on different types of fear that you may never may have never heard of before. Um, what I've determined from this is that you can find a, a diagnosed phobia of just about anything. Okay, so here's some examples, and this is meant to be entertaining, so it's okay to laugh. Um, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce these right because some of them are challenging. Pelidophobia is the fear of baldness and bald people. Aerophobia is the fear of drafts. Drafts, like D-R-A-F-T-S. Like, oh my goodness, there's a draft. <laughs> okay. I know some of you heard me say giraffes, but it wasn't what it was. <laughs> um, porphyrophobia is the fear of the color purple. Kytophobia is the fear of hairy people. <laughs> Levophobia is the fear of objects on the left side of the body. Exactly. <laughs> and dextrophobia is the fear of objects on the right side of the body. Aurorophobia is the fear of the northern lights. Caliprophobia is the fear of obscure meanings. Thalassophobia is the fear of being seated. Stabisbophobia is the fear of standing and walking. Odontophobia is the fear of teeth. And graphophobia is the fear of writing in public. And then phobophobia is the fear of being afraid. Okay? Now, ultimately, again, I, I share that kind of a, to be humorous, but also just to bring this recognition of, my goodness, if you want to be afraid of something, there's probably a phobia diagnosis for that which you want to be afraid of. And, and this doesn't go into the common fears that we might have, like arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, the fear of heights. I mean, there's all these others that we wouldn't think twice about, right? But in the midst of all of this, here's the question I want you to wrestle with this morning. Are you more prone to respond urgently to what you feel or to what is true? Are you more prone to respond urgently to what you feel or to what is true? 
a couple of weeks ago, um, my wife and I sat down and had to have a conversation with my oldest daughter. And I asked her last night if I could share this story. Um, and she was really distraught and was really struggling. And she kept saying over and over again, I feel this way. I feel this way. I feel this way. And we had this long conversation and I share it with you today because I got done with that. And I went, man, in this conversation, I needed to process this as much as she did. And we talked about the difference between our feelings and what is true. And that it's really important when we engage with people at various states of their emotional being that they feel this way. And some of you here today are not naturally feel-based people. You're not emotional in nature. And when someone responds in an emotional way, your, your focus may just be, well, that just isn't logical. Okay, but I want you to hear that feelings, however illogical we may think they are, are still still very real for the person feeling that. But that does not mean, and this is where the conversation with my oldest daughter went, it does not mean that those feelings are true. And so anytime we're prone to feel strongly in a certain way, we have to exercise the discipline of saying, I'm going to speak out what I feel, and then I'm going to speak out what is true. I need to be able to identify what I feel and articulate that well, whether it's anger or sadness or frustration or anxiety. And I I need to be able to speak that reality. But I cannot stop there. I must be able to, in the same way of articulating how I feel, be able to speak what is true. And this is all going to come to clarity as we navigate this text today, because what what you're going to see in Genesis 19 and 20 is a handful of people who responded out of their fear and lost sight of what is true. And so at the end of all of this, here's if you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to grab hold of this statement. When fear intrudes, trust the Lord. When fear intrudes, trust the Lord. And we're going to get to the how of this and the why of this in the message today. I'm going to start in um, chapter 19, verse 30. Chapter 19, verse 30. And to summarize where we have come in the earlier portions of chapter 19, you see a... Um, you, you see... These two angels come and rescue Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the Lord brings about his righteous justice on the sinfulness, the wickedness of these people. And if you're, if you're wondering about any of that, I encourage you, um, go back and listen to or watch last week's message on our YouTube channel or anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can re-listen to those or watch those and refresh yourself on that. But at the end of all of this, God has destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his daughters, because his wife is destroyed as well, because she turns back when she was explicitly told not to. And Lot and his daughters now were, as far as we know, living in the town of Zor. And this is where things pick up. This is where the narrative picks up. Verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his daughters For he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. 
Thus, both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Now, church family, when we read scripture like this, it should bring a deep, dark heaviness to us. Because here's here's the reality. Uh, There are a lot of places you could go on Sunday mornings and you could have someone get up and tell you how everything's okay and everything's going to be all right. And here is an encouraging motivational speech for you today. There's a lot of places you can do that. Uh, You will not uh, always get that here. And the reason you will not always get that here is because we are uh, convinced that the whole counsel of God's word is beneficial for our growth All of it. Uh, It's also important for us to recognize that just because Scripture says, uh, reports that something happens, it does not mean that God condones this. But oftentimes God uses the failings of people, fallen people like you and me throughout Scripture to remind us of just the depth of our depravity and our need for more than ourselves. That we desperately need Him. Now, what motivation do we see here that results in such behavior in the rest of chapter 19? Starting with Lot, verse 30 reveals that he was afraid to live in Zor. Now, this is really kind of an interesting turn of events, considering that earlier in chapter 19, Lot himself argues with the angels as they're commanded to leave Sodom and go to the hills. And Lot seeks a compromise to settle in this little town of Zor. And in chapter 19, verse 21, it says the Lord, it reveals the Lord mercifully grants this request. But now he's afraid to live there. And we're not given the reason for this fear. It could have been extended anxiety after witnessing the destruction that God brought upon the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah. It could have been a fear of people in Zor and how they were treating him. But regardless of the reason for his fear, we no doubt come to a very clear conclusion as to what this fear does. Fear causes us to lose sight of God's faithfulness in the past. Now, if Lot had taken the time to think about this, And not react to these feelings of fear. He might have seen some difference here in who God has promised to be. And has revealed himself to be when he pulled Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. My goodness, Lot has no doubt seen the power of God. And the totality of his judgment both on the city he once lived in and his wife. But Lot has also seen firsthand how the Lord protects the righteous. How the Lord mercifully drug him out of the land before it was destroyed. How easily, church family, how easily we forget the Lord's faithfulness when we are tempted to fixate on fear. How easily we forget the faithfulness and the totality of God's rule and reign. When we are tempted to fixate on fear. As a result of this fear motivation, Lot takes his daughters and he isolates himself in a cave. Now some commentators uh, suggest that this is uh, in some ways symbolic of an internal death that had taken place in Lot's life. That he literally retreats to a place of absolute, utter darkness and isolation. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. Maybe you are experiencing that today. May I remind you today that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you find yourself in that place of isolation and darkness, please recognize that you are not alone.
For some reason, Scripture, this is interesting to me, it does not give any indication that Lot sought refuge with his uncle, Abraham. But instead, chose to dwell in a cave by himself. And I wonder if we are not prone to a similar response. When motivated by fear, doubt, or anxiety, it is often more challenging to seek help, be it from the Lord or from other faithful family, than it is to isolate ourselves in a self-made cave of darkness. Now, Lot's decision to do this leads to what we see next in what can only be described as a dark result of being motivated by fear. Now, I want to clarify something in the midst of what takes place next, that Scripture, once again, is not condoning what happens here. Uh, I get really frustrated when people, uh, whether it be inside or outside the church, come to passages like this as a way to try and prove to other people the invalidity of Scripture. And I go, read the whole thing before you make such judgments. Because in no way is God saying, hey, this is okay. In fact, not only biblically is this wrong and sinful, but if you do any sort of research on secular culture around the people, and even looking to the Levitical law that comes later, you see very clearly that this was not okay and was not even accepted in some of the most volatile, sinful places. An excerpt out of this book on Genesis by Ken Hughes, it says incest was considered wrong in Near Eastern culture. As Harry Hoffner has shown in his Festgrift for Cyrus Gordon, Orient and Occident, and Hebrew culture explicitly forbade a man's having relations with his daughters or daughters-in-law. Leviticus 20.12, Ezekiel 22.10 and 11. The penalty for such sin was death. Leviticus 20, 11 through 13. Mesopotamian culture similarly forbade such incest in the code of Hammurabi. Likewise, Hittite laws forbade such sins, punishing them either by death or banishment, and later by paying a fine and sending an animal out of the town, bearing the guilt on the analogy of Israel's scapegoat. This was wrong. Everyone say, this was wrong. But here's what happens, church. Fear hinders our trust in the sovereignty of God. Not only does it cause us to lose sight of His faithfulness throughout generations, it causes us to lose our trust in the sovereignty of God. One of the most clear ways we see this take place is actually in verse 31, where the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us in the manner of all the earth. And I read that and I go, how ridiculous that the assumption based on the situation they're in, in that moment, causes them to make broad judgments about what in the world is even possible. They took the current situation and they projected their own reality on the future of their lives. And this led to foolish and sinful decision rooted in their own fear and anxiety rather than the sovereignty of God. And we do this same thing. We face a financial crisis and we think, oh, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be on the street. I'm going to be I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. We, we take a small glimpse instead of identifying what is true in the midst of my fear. I take my fear and then I automatically assume everything that's going to happen as a result of this. We do the same thing in relationships. We struggle 
in a friendship and we jump to the conclusion, oh, nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. I'm just going to be a loner the rest of my life. And we uh, we adopt this mentality and you may feel that way. I want you to recognize this. This goes back to what I feel versus what is what what is true. You may feel that way. But what you feel does not automatically equate to what is true. But if you choose to believe that what I feel is what is true, you better believe that you're going to sit in your fear and your anxiety and that's where you're going to stay. We have a choice. I can choose to sit there and project everything that's going to that's a reality. As with Lot's daughters, there's no man on the face of the earth. We're it. There's no one else. Now, obviously, they didn't have social media to go, oh, look, there's someone in the next town over. Right? They, they just watched the city they grew up in completely destroyed and annihilated. Okay, We can understand how they came to this place of fear. Yet that, that still doesn't equate to any kind of lack of trust in, you know what? God has sovereignly drawn us out of this place. He will provide. Fear hinders their ability to trust the sovereignty of of God. There's a lot of ways that we do this, church family. And it is a lot easier to respond in fear than to respond in faith. And in the moment, it may be a lot more convenient to respond in fear than to respond in faith. Are you more prone to react urgently to what you fear? Or what is true. Now there's another piece of this that we should observe. And I'm going to speak specifically to fathers for a minute. So dads, pay attention please. Lot should have led his daughters towards the God who sovereignly provides. The God who hears. Who is faithful. Whose plan is always best. But instead, his own fear led his daughters into the same sinful behavior that God had drawn them out of in Sodom. Fathers, may you not be like Lot. Who in the face of his fear, instead of rooting into what is true. And what he had seen the Lord do, he chose to respond in fear and isolate his family. And to completely destroy the fabric of what could have been. Fathers, root your children and your spouse back into the God who is faithful, who always has been. God has given you that responsibility. Not your spouse. It's not your kid's job. It's your job. It's my job. We need to do better. Now this is dark. Sin is gross and not God's design. And I wish I could say that fear-motivated, foolish decisions stopped here. Unfortunately, they do not. So turn with me, or go to chapter 20 now, verse 1 and 2. And we're back on Abraham. It says, from there, Abraham journeyed. Towards the territory of Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Are you kidding me? Now, if you aren't aware of this, this already happened one time. In Genesis chapter 12, whereas they're traveling through Egypt, Abraham tells this same lie out of fear for what that people would do to him. And so selfishly, he tells Sarah, his wife, you know, don't tell them you're my wife or they'll kill me so they could take you. And instead, 
uh, tell them you're my sister and it'll go well with me. Those are literally the words of Abraham in that. I'm so concerned about myself that you know, to put yourself in jeopardy so that I'm okay. Why? Because when we react to fear and we allow fear to motivate us, it causes us to revert back to an old way of living. One of the most common reasons that we fall back into sinful patterns in the, that, that maybe we came out of in the past is because we face fear and anxiety and hardship and so then we resort back to those things that we once did. Just like we see Abraham do here. Now, one could ask, what is his motivation for reverting back to this old way of thinking and repeating once again this situation that when it happened before, it didn't go well. It wasn't a good thing. And we would hope that, well, Abraham learned his lesson. Nope. We revert back. So what is his motivation? Look at verse 10 through 13. It says, really what happens in this is God appears to Abimelech, so to, to catch you up, God appears to Abimelech in a dream and he says, uh, you're going to die because you're with another man's wife. And Abimelech pleads with the Lord and goes, Lord, I am, am I in the wrong? Because I, I was told one thing. Are you going to hold me accountable for this? And God says, no, you need to return. You need to return this man's wife. And He'll he'll pray over you and you won't die and your members of your household won't die because you're in the wrong. You're living wrong. <laughs> and so he goes to Abraham and he asks Abraham, why would you do this to me? What what did you see in me that you ca- caused yourself to put myself in this position? And this is this is Abraham's response. Abimelech said to Abraham, verse 10, what did you see that you did this thing? Good question. Verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Everyone say that's fear. Besides, she that now this is ridiculous. Okay, And here we see. Mankind's subtle way of trying to manipulate the situation. So they go, I wasn't really dishonest. Uh, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, so at least he's taking ownership of this. This is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Now, upon reading this, we should be frustrated. Is this not the same Abraham who shared a meal with the Lord? Is this not the same Abraham in Genesis 15, 6 who believed and it was counted to him as righteousness? Is this not the same Abraham who had the boldness to confront God about the measure of his justice towards Sodom? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. In the midst of our frustration, we find a sense of shared burden with Abraham. This man who is called a friend of God, this model of faith, acts in his flesh motivated by fear. We are not alone in our sinfulness, family. Praise God that he has included not only the examples to follow in Scripture, but also these faithful glimpses of his mercy towards our fallen selves. We can no doubt have this in mind. When the Apostle Paul reminds the church in 1 Corinthians 10 that there is no temptation that has overcome us that is not common to man. But God is faithful to always provide a way of escape. Imploring us in the midst of that which would cause us to fear the most. Trust the Lord. When fear intrudes, trust the Lord. 
Now, the broader question in the midst of this is how are we to do this? Okay. Um, how are we to live this out practically? And so this is where I want, I want to utilize, I want to, I'm going to go through these three application points. Okay. And as we go through these, this is where I want us to spend some time in prayer that we didn't do at the beginning. Because it's one thing for us to recognize and acknowledge, I can't allow fear to be the motivator in my life. I have to identify what I'm feeling, what I'm afraid of, but then I need to be able to speak what is true. How do I do that? Well, the best place to go is back to God's word. What has God said? About who I am, about who he is, and about what I should do. And then to internalize those things so that when I am most prone to react to what I feel, the Spirit of God starts tapping me in the back of the head going, Hey! Hey, you! Remember what is true. Hold fast to what is true. What you're feeling is real. Those feelings are real. Those emotions are real. The anxiety is real. But that does not mean it's true. Remember what is true. So I want to give you three specific ways to encounter three specific fears that encompass a lot. Or three specific temptations for us. Number one, when we are tempted to fear man, remember the strength of the Lord. When we're tempted to fear man, remember the strength of the Lord. Now, here's where we're going to go with this. Okay. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. And here's what I want us to do. We're going to speak this out together. We're going to read this together. And then we're just going to pause. And in very brief, short utterances, I want you to pray in affirmation of what this says. And then I'm going to close us from that and we're going to read this again and then we're going to go to application point number two. Because this is how we apply these things, church family. It's not just by hearing me talk about it. It's not just about affirming what scripture says about it. It's about internalizing what God has said is true. And then employing that on the battlefield. So we're going to read this together and then we're just going to pause and I want you just, whether it's silently or out loud, I just want you to speak out specific prayer, kind of short prayers of, of seeking the Lord for what is true in the midst of our fear. Okay? Let's, let's read this out together. Okay? Here we go. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Father, you are sovereign. You are over all things. Help us when we fear, when we are prone, when we are tempted to fear mankind, the world around us, to root ourselves back into who you are and what you have promised us most of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this one more time. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Secondly, when we are tempted to fear the future, remember the faithfulness of God. When we are tempted to fear the future and what it holds, to root back into God's faithfulness, to root back into who he has been in the past, because it's easy for us to get to this place where we feel like, where are you, Lord? Where are you? I long to hear you. I long to see you. I've talked with so many people in this room who have experienced that, who are experiencing that. And there's going to be seasons where it's dark in that way. We have to root back into 
the truth that God is the same and who is uh, who have I seen him to be in the past and recognize he's the same in the present as he was in the past. And he's going to be the same in the future as he is in the present, as he has been in the past. And in this psalm, I encourage you, if you've never read Psalm 77, I want you to read it because in the verses right before this. The psalmist does a heart search and he goes, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be faithful? Has his mercies forever ceased? And you think, wow, this is really. Depressing. And I go, praise God that that's in scripture, right? Because it means I'm not alone. It's not wrong for me to feel that way, but in the midst of my feelings, I have to be able to identify what is true. And then the psalmist shifts gears and he says, this is what I'm going to do. Let's read this together. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Let's pray in light of these truths. Father, when we are tempted to fear what the future holds, may you open our eyes to be reminded of your faithfulness throughout all generations, God. And by the power of your Spirit, repeat those truths to us in the midst of our fears and anxieties that we might walk in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this one more time. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. This last challenge. When we are tempted to fall back into sin, fix your eyes on the Lord. When we are tempted to fall back into old ways of living, fix your eyes on the Lord. And this falls back into Ephesians 2. Where you said you, Paul says you once walked in these ways, but no longer. In Romans 6.1 where he says, how can we who died to sin still walk in it? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And so when we're tempted to fall back into those old ways of thinking, and trust me, you will be tempted to fall back into those old ways of thinking if you aren't already having fallen back into those old ways of thinking. How do I encounter that? You drive yourself to fixate on the Lord. And this is where we're going to go for this. Let's read this passage together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray in light of these truths. Father, may we who hold fast to salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, rejoice in knowing that Jesus has indeed paid it all. Father, may we recognize that Jesus set the example that we might walk in the same way he walked. That we might declare the will of the Father in the same way Jesus declared these things, that we might faithfully obey 
as Christ obeyed even to the point of death on a cross. God, may you remind us to fix our eyes and refocus over and over and over again. As we are so prone to fall back into these old ways of thinking. God, may you help us to learn and grow each day. And when we fall back into these ways to confess our sin, knowing that you are faithful to forgive, to redeem, to transform. And make us more and more like your son. With each passing day. In Jesus name we pray these things. Amen. Let's read this passage one more time. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, the throne of God. Amen. Worship team is going to come. We're going to sing one closing song. As they come, I want you to grasp hold of this exhortation, church family. When fear intrudes, trust the Lord. As some of you here today, I know, are wrestling with the reality of where life is right now for you. Some of you celebrating exceeding joys. And some of you wrestling with some of the most challenging seasons of your life. In the midst of all of that, whether it's good or bad, whether you are on a course or you are lost in the midst of the wilderness. There is one truth we can hold fast to and it's this that Jesus came that you might have life with God for eternity but he is the only way and if you are navigating this life apart from Christ you are whether you realize it or not lost in the midst of your living my desire the desire of our leaders here is Nothing more than you would experience the life-transforming power of Jesus. And that you would be able to fix your eyes on Him and follow His lead, not your own. That when you're faced with fear and anxiety, you would recognize that your strength doesn't come from yourself, but rather comes from the One who has gone before you. And that in the midst of everything that's happening around us today... We don't need to fear because we serve the God who has been faithful and who will remain faithful and whose plans and promises will come to pass. Hold fast to him. When fear intrudes, trust the Lord.